my podcast listeners, welcome to another episode of the Dom of X Show, where we analyze the printed pages of Marvel's Mutants. With another one, I am your host, Professor Dom Torres, and here at my figurative side, because he got mad at me the last time when I said actual side, is comic book creator and my fantastic friend, Dylan Gray. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. All As always, I'm so happy to be here, and I'm so happy that you forced me to read all these books, because they are amazing, amazing books. Let's get right into it, man. I don't even want to... No, no more pleasantries. Let's jump in. Let's talk about Marauders. Let us discuss Marauders and what is happening on inside said book. So, quick otherwise no i love the fact that marvel or tom mueller the designer gave this the trade that sweet sky blue i just really dig it i don't know why it's like it's it's blue for the sea we out here we're gonna put our pirate sails up and we're just gonna go out and that's what this book is it is mutant pirates and it's and marauders is an old play on the former mutant marauders but it also brings us this new vibe of hey we're gonna bring a couple of your faves out to see but yeah i i just love pirates like pirates in comics whenever you get them i think they're always a plus definitely and this is this is this book is definitely a plus so let's just let's just dive right into it we this is a main dawn of x title it's one of the six first that came out Sort of a rotating board of artists, but it's a pretty standard same team that we're going to be talking about later. We got K-Pride, we got Emma, we got Storm, Iceman, Pyro, Bishop. See, I bought the book for Kitty and Emma. I got so much more. I'm so happy I did. But yeah, let's get into it. We're going to be going over Marauders issues 1 through 6. Story by Jerry Duggan. Interiors by Matteo Lolli, Lucas Wernick, Michelle Bandini, Mario Del Panino, an additional inking by Elisabetta Di Amico, colors by Federico Blee and Eric Arciniega, interior and exterior designing by Tom Mueller, and senior editing by Jordan D. White. And ready or not, Sad Kitty Pride appears in literally the... Not Kitty, Kate Pride. Let's start right from the beginning. She's no longer Kitty Pride. She is now Kate Pride. She has taken away... The kitty, because she's an adult, it's a new world, it's, let's move past it, let's talk, let's call her by an adult name, because that's what she is, an adult. You're right, and, and I think that's what I love too, is the fact that not only are our characters growing up in this brand new setting, I love the fact that because, you know, we have, like we did before with the new mutants when we covered them, you know, now they're going from students in the old school to actually doing stuff outside, we have... You know, Kitty, who's who's been, you know, younger and now she's calling herself Catherine Kate, right? Sort of this, I'm older, I'm no longer, the, you know, the younger Sasquatch. I'm now in a brand new setting and I want to be called by an adult name and I respect that. And that's why we're not calling her Kitty anymore. She's Catherine, she's Catherine Pride. She's Kate Pride. And I'm 100% behind the move. It's so, it works so well. And it's just going to be, I'm just going to slam it on people. Say People tell me, hey, I really love Kitty and this one. No, it's like, I, this is Kate. Say, this is Kate. And I love it. I, I dig it. I dig it hard. Definitely, definitely. And it's really cool, like, that, you know, for a while she was taken away from us. Uh, if you guys don't know, in Astonishing X-Men, she was, she, there was a giant space bullet that was going to hit the Earth and she fused with it. But because it was so big and moving so fast, they literally couldn't stop it. So she was flying around the universe for all eternity. And eventually, Magneto used his powers to bring her home, which was really cool. And I'm glad because Kitty Pride is my one of my favorites. One of my favorites. And the fact that she she's back and she has her own series is just dope. Dope AF, even. It is dope AF. And bringing her, again, as the forefront of a brand new dawn of x title and making her the center of this new series i think not only gives her a chance to go forward instead of you know being some in some books sort of oh she's a love interest for colossus or something like that no she's she's the leader of this pirate team and her going out her doing her own thing 
it going forth. It makes her, I think, deeper and gives her an actual role set on this new island nation of Krakoa. And right, Dep- and so you get to see that well, first because again she's on this pirate team. We have to see why she's on this pirate team in the first place, right? So you open the book. And you get to the first page, and her fantastic friend, Kurt Wagner, a.k.a. Nightcrawler, and Storm, who are both on the council, they're letting a lot of these mutants are coming in, they're rescuing them, you know, they're getting them from places because all mutants are now free to go home. Kate is there as well, and that's what their plan is. Let's bring everybody home, and my, and Kurt says, my friend, let's let's go in, let's frolic in Krakoa and she's like she wants to she's she can't believe it's real and she gets there oh man she gets rejected by the gate what's up like I you open it you turn the page and she gets hurt and she's bleeding and she doesn't understand why and and I think there has to be something behind that right it's it's letting because the gateway is specifically for all mutants to enter in, right? And I think that there may be some mm-hmm. notation that Kate might not be a full mutant, or she might not even be mutant at all. I, I, I don't get, I, I don't, I don't understand this point. What, what do you think's up with that? You know, and it's really, it's kind of funny too, because for someone that literally whose power is to phase through walls, you know, what I'm saying to phase through solid objects, and she is the only person that bumps into it because the gateways, even if you're not a mutant, you walk through it like nothing happened. You go through the gate and you're just on the other side of the gate. You're not like going through the portal or anything. So she can't, not only can she not even go through it, like to get to Krakoa, she can't even like walk past it like a normal human. So everything is really weird. And it's really, I'm really interested to see what happens with that. Like what they're going to discuss is because later in the book, you know, they discuss about how maybe Krakoa straight up like rejects her. You know what I'm saying? Like, Krakoa, for whatever reason, doesn't want Kate there. They, like, is she not mutant? We don't know. There's so many, so much speculation on why she can't get there, and I can't wait to see where he goes with this. Right, I want to see, like, did did Jonathan tell Jerry, hey, I want to make sure that we get, we set up this so that readers can speculate, hey, is Kate not wanted by the island, the actual island? Or does Kate not have the mutant gene as many of her fellow brothers and sisters do? Does she does she not have... And again, like this is the ironic part, right? For what her power is, which is phasing through solid objects. This is a simple gateway where it's supposedly everybody can go through safely. Yet all of a sudden, when she walks upon the doors, or so I say gates, of Krakoa... She can't go in. She can't phase in. She can't teleport. Like, that's... So, there's... There's something, I think, going up there. As far as that's concerned, it doesn't... Again, it doesn't really make sense. But I think, again, it's the ironic part of it. It's... Yeah, I have these powers. I just can't use them. That's right. Luckily, she's been sailing her most of her life. So, she was able to just take a boat and get there. And I thought it was really funny how she left a note saying, Hey, I'll bring this boat back. Or maybe I won't. We'll see. (laughs) Sorry, I promise. I'll have to try to have someone return it. Who cares? Yeah, it's like, I'll keep this boat. Uh, And and she gets on. And she she doesn't know why she can't get on the island. And she asks her, well, for A, Lockheed is one of the cutest things in fictional, in Marvel, like in terms of Marvel comics. I love Lockheed. He's so cute. The way he's drawn and the way he works here, too. I love it, right? Yeah. Like, go. <laughs> this is some of the best Lockheed writing ever, too. Like, you think, how hard could it be to write a little dragon? But a lot of people, they fail. I mean, Whedon had a whole bunch of stuff that he added to the character. Um, and I think at one point, too, yeah, Lockheed actually, when Kitty Pride was stuck traveling around the universe in that giant bullet, he was actually joined S.W.O.R.D. to help protect the Earth from alien invasions because he's not really a dragon per se, like, a, in the mythical sense, he's actually an alien. But, you know, writing... Like, dragons have lives, too. It's not that... Sometimes, I think when, when writers hit on 
I think that you can work this for other animals in other parts of fictional history. Like we have DC's pets, right? You have Crypto, you have Ace, and they have personalities. And I think that they do, right? You, I think that adding something to said pets and making them actual characters instead of oh, they're just you know they did you just pet them and feed them. And it's like no, they they have they have lives and and purposes too besides. I'm just here to, you know, play with my owner. No, like they like Lockheed is somebody as well and and him just doing stuff with Kate and going out and bringing, you know, scavenge stuff or, you know, doing stuff for laughs. I think Duggan plays that well to his strengths and I think he brings a lot of fun to Lockheed as sort of the sidekick instead of Kate's the owner. But no, he's he's an actual person who does things on the Marauders' team. And That's right. He's he's a partner. He's he's not a pet. He's a partner, and I think that's a really fun thing that he brought to it. Because that that's what I prefer. I don't want to see him just like you know. I want to see him protecting Kate because he wants to. You know what I'm saying? Not because he feels obligated to. Because that's his quote unquote master. You know what I'm saying? He does stuff with her. It's not that he's tethered to a leash. No, he has full freedom to do whatever he pleases. And he's a fantastic friend of Kate's. And again, just more so of the friendship vibes that we're getting from a lot of these Dawn of X books is that, hey, not only are we partners, but hey, we're also close. And I, I just love the relationship those two have. It is awesome. Like when, when Lockheed smiles, you feel it. Like you want... Somebody like that at your side. Definitely. Who wouldn't want a dragon partner, though? Like, let's be real. Everyone wants a Charizard, okay? It's true. Everyone wants a Blastoise. Let's be real. Let's be real right now. And we get... Yeah, we just get a lot of fantastic Lockheed stuff, and, and I love it. And freaking... Not only that, we get Logan. He makes his guest appearance in this first issue. Gotta love the Logan cameos. Always love the Logan cameos. Let's just say that right now. Because And the way he comes, he's like, I need, you have all the stuff I need? You have all the equipment? You have everything I need? And then it's just whiskey and kegs. And I, that's so, see, that's the thing that people like to do. Like, okay, yeah, you gotta have the violent side. You gotta have the heartwarming. I wanna make the world a better place side. But you gotta have the party animal side of Logan. The dude can metabolize alcohol faster than he can ingest, like, faster than his body can get it. So, he drinks a lot. He drinks a lot. And you know what? If you had a life like Logan, I would drink as I would drink a lot too. Like, let's be real. Oh, yeah. You know, the dude's died and come back dozens of times. He's He's had a very hard life. Brainwashed, used multiple times. Doesn't even really know his true history. You know, it's it's some crazy stuff. I hope I hope through this era of of X Men, Hickman actually just says, "Okay, you know what? We are doing this hard canon. Let's look into Wolverine's past. Where was he born? Let's let's get that." If he doesn't, I'm going to kind of be disappointed because I want to see Hickman's version of this. I want to see what he's going to bring to Wolverine. You know, he's already made made him. He's already written him so well. Everyone he's written so well. So like, what what's the next step? Right, I think too, you can sort of see not only with, with what you've been saying about Jonathan, but you can tell that this is a collaborative effort as well. Like, not only is Jerry just doing it by himself, you know, he's talking with his other X writers. I think too, with because Benjamin Percy, he's doing his stuff over in X Words, he has main control of the character. You can see that, oh, not only is Jonathan, you know, setting the ground rules for how he wants these characters written, you can see that these writers are like, hitting him up in text like that's how closely these are and like that's why you get this fantastic logan cameo where he's bringing in ribs beer cubano sandwiches and he's he's uh, <laughs> yes it's so awesome and it's cool to see creators collaborate on efforts and not only bring what they have to the table but to make sure that everybody's on the same page and it seems that from so far from what we've seen in x-men and now marauders that duggan and jonathan are talking and and they're they're doing stuff together this it's awesome and, and yeah we have to get the ribs like ribs are awesome and the fact that logan brought a whole big just bunch of them and and the beer too because we have to have alcohol on the island or outside of it it's just awesome just gives me it's sweethearts and we, and we got a graphic design as well with the marauders logo i love it i love logan 
Yes. Oh my God. No, totally. See, here's the thing that's going to bug me is I, as soon as I saw it, I was like, crap, I might need to get this tattooed on me. Like it's such a cool logo and it fit, just, I love the X, the skull. It's so piratey and so much fun. You know what I'm saying? Oh, you have... And it totally goes with the kind of tattoos that I have, because in case you guys don't know, I'm a very logo based kind of tattoo person. That's the kind of tattoos I like. I like to have them simple, basic, all one color. For instance, I have the red and yellow lanterns tattooed on me. I have the Black Bulls uh, insignia from Black Clover on me. and So I'm just juiced. And when I saw that, I was like, yep, so that's my next one. I gotta get the Marauders tattoo. <laughs> and we're going to be get delving because they get tattoos as well. And, and But that's, that's another time. Oh, yes, they do. But let's talk about this team. Who, 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 who does she get on her team? Who, who's traveling the world being a pirate with uh, Kate Pride? So Kate is actually summoned in by Emma Frost, who, again, is on the Quiet Council of Krakoa. She's one of the 12 or currently 11 people who run the nation. And she's summoned in, and Emma just straight up tells her, hey, I know that we've, whatever, we've, we've had our weird differences aside, and those two have definitely had a long history together. But she just straight up tells her, hey, I have this big ship. And you're going to be hopefully a part of the Hellfire Trading Company. We're going to be setting out. We're going to be going all out on the shore, bringing mutants in. But understand that we will be liberators. We're going to bring our fellow mutants home. But we need to ramp up our black market activity. And I want you at sort of the forefront of it. Like She tells him, think about yourself in a white blouse or an all red and you're going to be standing next to me. Yeah. Well, the whole idea, too, of making the Hellfire Club no longer a club or a syndicate or whatever you want to call it. They are a full-on corporation now. And so now we're not getting this kind of, like, shadow organization kind of stuff anymore. No. We are straight up getting corporate fat cats trying to control both the regular market and the black market trade. Because a lot of countries are not down with this deal of we're going to give you guys sovereignty, but you got to get, like, we're going to, we need, <clears throat> Krakoa's deal with the world is we'll give you medicine that will cure and extend your life, cure diseases, extend your life, but you got to see our sovereignty. You got to see us as a nation. And a lot of countries are not about it, specifically because Krakoa is saying all mutants are Krakoan, so they get to automatically come, and they're not no longer your citizens anymore. And the last thing any country wants is no citizens or citizens to be taken from them. You know, right? What I'm exactly. You have all these mutants, and specifically one, because we see more members of the team join as we get some good Iceman and Pirate stuff in Russia. Right? We we move to Russia, and Iceman is like, "Hey, what's up, guys? I'm here," and 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 then he gets depowered. And he's in underwear as he gets shot by <laughs> Russian Russian soldiers. And Kate's just having a good time. He's, he's like, hey, yo, I almost just died, bro. And, <laughs> Kate is, and Kate's just like working or playing, dude. And, and he's all serious about it. But yeah, we get... And, it, and more answers to your question. We're getting an Iceman in here too. Bobby Drake, one of the original five now yes heck yeah omega level mutant fyi of omega okay. level we have two on this team and omega level if you guys because we didn't really cover it in full omega level mutants are essentially your in the way that hickman stated hickman stated it is that is that Mutants have this dominant power that they just uphold and they reach that no other mutants can't. So you have Iceman, right? Bobby mm -hmm. Drake, who can manipulate temperature. And then we also have, who joins later, even though she's not really full on with the name, we have Storm, who's also an Omega level mutant. Mm -hmm. Aurora Monroe, who's also an Omega level mutant. Kate, now, 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 hold on. Before, before we, I'd like to discuss this. Is is Kate considered Omega level? Because her power level is unbelievable. Like she was able to turn a a planet sized bullet into like to completely turn it into a phase, and it took a lot out of her. But does that make her Omega level? 
That's what I'm wondering. Is it canon that she's Omega level? Now, I think that her powers are definitely top tier. But, again, from what mm-hmm. we saw earlier, that Kate can't enter Krakoa, she might have those Omega level powers. But that's a, that doesn't make her a mutant. So what is Hickman trying to say here? Is Hick And she's not on the list because Hickman gave us a full list in House of X number one of all of the Omega level mutants, all of who are supposed to be on Krakoa to be protected. Kate's not on there. And you have to ask yourself, okay, does that mean she's not that her whatever manipulation, space manipulation, whatever it may be, does that is that not a category? Or is she just not a mutant at all? I think, it, again, it gives me more questions that I want answered. And I like the fact that I have to sort of seek this out for myself. And we're going to see, hopefully in the future, is is Kate going to be considered one or not? Well, here's the thing, too. This is inter- an interesting thing. There are a lot of quote-unquote mutants that aren't technically mutants. Shatterstar, uh, Longshot. Those guys are actually not mutants, but they're considered mutants. And same with Multiple Man. Now, Multiple Man was, during the uh, X-Factor investigations, they kind of found out, they kind of glossed over it, but basically, they're calling him a changeling. He's actually more of a magical creature, not a mutant. Although, he's always been with the mutants, and and has the mutant gene, but isn't, it's, it's some weird stuff that they haven't. So, it might be really interesting to find out that, yes, she's not a mutant. You know, and if she's not, what's what is she? That is a what's gr- the deal? That is a great you know question. Is she gonna be the next pretender? But that is again another story for another time. We need to continue on with team establishment right. <laughs> and who is gonna be on. So we already have Storm, we already have Emma, who is again, she's a leader on the council. We have Iceman, Pyro just joined in the fray, and now we also have Bishop was from a different earth but he's cool i dig i love bishop bishop is such a cool character and i hate hate that the movies haven't captured him properly yet at all and it drives me crazy because there's so many levels to him his powers you know his his uh able his ability to turn kinetic energy and like power it up and send it back as an energy blast is so cool for those who don't know, basically Bishop, if you were to punch him in the face, okay, he would take all that kinetic energy and then shoot it back to you in an energy blast. And that's cool. And that's really awesome. And I think it speaks vo- it's, speaks volumes um, about how cool some of these X-Men powers were back in the day. And I just found out, actually, that there is a Gary Coleman outfit from a cartoon he was in that looks almost exactly the same as the original Bishop costume. You can Google it right now, side by oh side comparison. Gosh. Just found out about this yesterday. Just when right I was now, in the like I'm shop. looking. I know, Crazy, right? right? And the fact too that again, like, well, hey, it is a dope outfit. It is. Oh my god, the that's the thing. I absolutely love the blue and yellow when it comes to X Men. You know what I'm saying? Like the black stuff is cool, or the all yellow is cool. But give me some royal blue and yellow, and maybe that's just a Warriors fan in me that wants to see that. But still. I think it's really cool. You know what I'm saying? As a Lakers fan, you probably would prefer a yellow and purple. I would. Um, X-Men team. I would. But, you know, the, the blue and yellow, it's it's classic. Like, you can't go against it. Just like you can't go against these, these riders. Like, they go to Russia, right? So we have, again, we have these six. We have Kate, Emma, Storm, Pyro, Iceman, and Bishop. The original Pyro, by the way. And they go into Russia, and Kitty just whoops everybody's asses and she takes it to town i love it like this is pure yeah because they're not allowed to kill they're not allowed to kill but they have to save people and it's kind of a messed up thing because how can you not kill someone that's trying to kill you you know what i mean like you could beat them up all you want but at the end of the day they could just be like half knocked out and pull out a gun and shoot you in the head you know and it and it's a it's a really hard thing, but I really love the fact that that's a law. Kill no man on Krakoa. I I love that. Right, and and just seeing Kitty try to or Kate because I, I I have to keep correcting myself. <laughs> I seeing Kate 
Yeah. Well, we we've been conditioned to call we've been conditioned to call her Kitty our we entire have. lives. Like it's it's gonna be hard to go with Kate. I mean, even in the book, they they call her Kitty sometimes, and she has to correct right. them. Right, and and <laughs> it's okay because I think Jerry and Jonathan are giving us time so that we get used to it, and we'll by the end of this era, we will probably be a portion to it. But yeah, just just Kate just slamming everybody's bullets just down to the ground. She's freaking taking out tanks. And it's just beautiful. And it it's so cool and badass just to see her and, and just her and, and Lockheed saying, hey, if you're a mutant and you can't get to Krakoa after she saves all the folks and we get the mutants home, the marauders will bring you home, right? And and that's when the team is established. That's right. And she finally just says, hey, call me Kate. Whoever you are, wherever you are in the world, we are here to save you. We are here to liberate, and we're here to change some lives for the better. And that's the that's the Kate we need. That's right. Especially nowadays, that's the Kate we need, mm-hmm. and I love it. So, I dig it. No, I, I love the whole idea of, of them going and rescuing mutants that can't get to Krakoa. Like, that whole angle of it is just so, so cool. Because that's, uh, other writers would have just glossed over that. And just dealt with it like, you know, either they can go or they can't and we'll deal with it that way. But no, Hickman says, no, we're going to get someone to go around the world on a boat and save mutants that can't get to their portals or to their gateways. And the right. fact and that he make, adds even more to it by making it so she can't even get through the portals herself. That's awesome. Sorry, gateways. I keep calling them portals, but they're called they're gateways. They're called gateways. Right? We even have a mutant called Gateway. <laughs> and he shows up in the book, too. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, yeah. But, yeah, we have we have Kate who can't go through gateways. Yeah, I, you know what? Speaking of Kate, we need to talk about how, well, the other two people who are here sitting at the desk on the, the actual... Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the Hellfire Corporation. That's what we should talk we about should. right now. Because we've got we've got Emma Frost, A, as the White Queen. We've got Sebastian Shaw as the Black King. And then the Red Queen is Mother Effin Kitty Pride. Sorry, Kate Pride. <laughs> See, I just did it right there. You, you keep, we keep right missing there. it up. I, again, it'll take a while. Just like it'll take a while for Sebastian Shaw to understand that the two people he probably hates the most in this world because him and emma they've had quite a history of the hellfire club like these two they barely get it like we saw in powers of x number five where emma was essentially complaining to the council or sorry to professor x and magneto saying i just took sebastian out now you want him back in and literally (laughs) in the second issue we see exactly why emma doesn't want sebastian to be there in the first place yeah because he's a grime ball and like that's that's why like it's perfect for I love the whole aspect of him being a corporate grime ball instead of just like a secret society trying to control the world from the shadows grime ball. He's like in the forefront being an asshole. Right. And and now he's out here saying, hey, I have these connections. I have all of these tablets going out to the world. I can bring all of these people in and I want the money. But you, Emma, you are just being a prick. You are that thorn on my side. I just can't get out. And seeing those two argue over who should take out the red seat and him learning that Emma was given authority by Xavier and Magneto to put her own Red Queen on the throne. And just seeing again, again, getting angry, getting mad, getting frustrated and just slamming the table it's just so fun to read. I really love Jerry's version of Sebastian and how he's setting himself off against his fellow mutant brethren. It's just awesome. Yes, yes. And can we talk about how cool the Red Keep is? The place where Kate lives? Oh my god. It looks so awesome like it looks like a pirate's room like 100 percent. and i am so here for that and her red queen outfit with the with the with the buccaneer look and ah uh, it's just every aspect of this design of her is just so cool and i was already a big cape pride fan and this just made me even more into it 
You know what I'm saying? And everyone kept telling me for months and months and months, oh, this is the book. This is the book. This is the book. Everyone kept saying Marauders is the best. Marauders is the best. And I was like, okay, well, I'll get to it someday. And as soon as I read it, I was like, why did I wait so long? This is probably one of the best books to come out for the whole new uh, Dawn of X series. Right, and and I think what I love just so far about just how everything is getting set up, because like again, not only are you getting the basis for how this, for the how the Hellfire Club goes from secret society to worldwide trading organization for both the regular market and the black market, I love just the fact that I think the best part about the book is again you can see later is a three way three-way relationship between Emma Frost, Sebastian Shaw, and Kate Pride, and how those three are all entangled in this mess, and how the politics and all of that shtick all coincide together. Because again, these three have all been at odds with one another at some point in their life. And seeing Jerry sort of play and bend the rules between exactly all three of them with, again, you see... In that, in the Emma Frost and Sebastian Shaw argument scene, where those two are talking about, hey, we need somebody on that seat, and Sebastian doesn't want, you know, Emma to get all this power because he wants all that power for himself. And seeing those three sort of struggle and toil for all of their, for all of their wants is, I think, what makes this book work. I think it's what makes this series kick on. And what makes it stand out from all the other X books is because of that internal struggle between, again, those three specific characters. And it is absolutely fantastic to see just those those guys duking it out just just to get their own just to get their own gain, but also to quote unquote help better mutant kind, which is what they're supposed to all be doing anyways. Yeah, and even Shaw with his with his evil, um, you know, backstabbing, um, selfish, narcissistic ways, he still really does want the good for mutant kind, and uh, and that goes for the all mutants. You know, no matter how evil they are, they still care about mutants. There's I don't I can't think in off the top of my head if there's any mutants out there that were anti-mutant i'm sure there are i bet you those stories have been written i can't think of any off the top of my head so maybe hopefully hopefully maybe we can get some of our listeners to drop some some hints for us because i would love to cover a character like that right and kind of like a a a, a self-hating mutant that wants other mutants to be dead you know what i mean please send those in we would love to see them but yes like Sebastian again we continue on because essentially the third the third issue is mainly about him and what he wants for mutant kind he gets on the seat right he's again he's a member or a top leader of the hellfire club or one of the top three leaders of the corporation the training company and he wants to assert more power mm-hmm. for himself right which is why he had his son shinobi resurrected and just to see him again he wants it does it's not like he hates mutants he wants to see he wants he to doesn't. see his his company do well that's why he's making all of these black market deals it's why he's trying to set up his own game because what he thinks is right and as twisted it may be and as from a foul mouth as i may have seen in a long time He's doing his best for what he believes is good and correct for Krakoa. And I... Yes, yes and no. I I kind of feel like it's what's best for him first and then Krakoa. You know what I'm saying? Like, Krakoa's in the interest of him. He wants good for Krakoa, but if not at the cost of him losing power or money. And that's what I, that's that's kind of like the double-edged sword of Sebastian Shaw because he wants people he wants mutants to do good but he also he wants to do better kind of thing yeah. you know what I mean? Um, and again, you see that I just say that all this develop out right again. That's why he resurrects his own son, even though his son has tried to kill him on many occasions and vice versa. I like that. But that's but that's their relationship, and that's okay because Shaw's like I don't want a son. That doesn't want to try to murder me. 
Okay, it, it like yeah. that's not someone that I would have. That's not my spawn. My spawn would try to murder me, and so that's how I know you're my son. <laughs> that's just that's so dope. Like that kind of level of gang. Like that's so gangster. Like no, I'm not mad at you. I I'm trying to kill you too. I I killed my dad. It's okay. That's just the way things go. All right, I would be upset if you weren't trying to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> I love that again. I love that Jerry sort of just name drops that into here and brings readers up to speed on how their actual relationship actually is. Because if you haven't read anything from those two before, you get the sense of notion that okay, so these are these two are family, but you understand that yeah, they 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 try to one off each other because they both have that same sense of that selfishness and inner pride inside of them. And the fact that these two just want to go off at each other's heads and knowing that, uh, hey, like, hey, dad, I I have this sword and I want to make sure that it goes through your chest so I can get all your stuff. And it's vice versa, right? And I, I, I dig I dig relationships like that. I think it makes I think it just makes a dynamic between those two more interesting, knowing again what will later be could be set up for shinobi and sebastian in said future and that's why he gets put into this see and and as we continue as we go on the hellfire trading club has seats on its in its 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 sort of like we how we have ceos and how all that the hellfire club has something similar we have your monarchs we have so we have your monarchs we have your your knights and we have your bishops. It's like a game of chess. And so there's mm-hmm. a lot of seats open. Red that we Because that's how the Hellfire um club, corporation, whatever you ever want to call them out, that's how they see the world is a game of chess. And that's how they see them with their own selves. It's all a game of chess and everything. And you can't go wrong. You can't go wrong with that kind of setup. And I, we've seen it. It's not like a brand new idea. You know, like uh, let's, let, I'd like to reference DC Comics right now with Checkmate. You know, they did the same thing with their um, with their intelligence uh, agents, International Intelligence Agency. There was like the Black King, the Rooks, the Pawns, all that kind of stuff. And that setup is always great for when it comes to like hardcore plotting big international ideas and let's be realistic this is beyond international this is intergalactic stuff that they're going into with with this new era of x-men right it's not just oh we're gonna get sound to the world no it's why we sent off mutants into space and we've already covered that and those these sort of again politicized inside mechanism parts of play I think it's fantastic because, yes, we've seen that in Ruckus Checkmate and we've sort of already seen that in, you know, which is why we had a lot of black kings, black queens, black and a lot of these, you know, different sort of stage politics back, you know, in the old X-Men old days. But now that we actually have this sort of set structure, here's the leaders, here's who's going to be working for us and here's how we're going to be doing our own thing and to set ourselves up. Right again, we have Emma, we have Kate, we have Sebastian, and how those three play, and that's why we see Shinobi get into this black black bishop sort of role, and it's because he needs you know he needs an ally, and or Sebastian needs an ally. Midas, you know, and I I I I respect the fact that he chose his own son. I don't know. I think the old man wants his son to kill him. It, it doesn't again it doesn't really matter. Yeah, he does. <laughs> he it, it's 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 like. almost a rite of passage how can you truly be my son if you can't kill me you know right (laughs) let's get those resurrection protocols working oh oh yeah let's also like they can't die at all yeah so yeah you kill me son i'll just come right back doesn't doesn't matter but anyways we have again sebastian just under plotting and being his regular old shtick self and saying hey it it hurts to say this because you know shinobi wants to know why he's here in the first place like he died why am I here, Dad? And Sebastian's just like, "Hey, Kate and Kate and Emma tried to murder you. I, I hope you. I hope you know this. I, I didn't. I know. I, I didn't tell anyone this stuff. But yeah, they they tried to murder you. And it's it's like, yeah, it's just Sebastian <laughs> just doing again, yeah, just working off for his own self. And but I mean, come on, Shinobi. Like, how could you not know that your pops <laughs> tried to kill you? 
Like, let's let's be real. Who else is going to try to kill you? Like, none of those Yakuza cats that Shinobi messes with are going to be able to take him out. You know what I'm saying? He's a he's a, a alpha level mutant. Like, they can't stop him, especially no humans. You know what I'm saying? And he's got that sweet katana. I mean, come on. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Like, he, he, who else would it be? Like, no, no one's gonna like no human's gonna catch you. It's do do you think do you think Shinobi thinks that his dad killed him, or is he kind of, or do you think he believes him about Kate and uh, Emma Frost? See, I think this is this is the intriguing part about all of this is that well, a I don't think there's any reason to not believe Sebastian in this case, considering that Sebastian is helping him get set up on Krakoa because this is a new spot for Shinobi, right? He hasn't seen a mutant nation like this before where everything's sort of set up. And so going off from that in knowing that, hey, my dad's here and he's, you know, he's gone global now. I think, I think he def there's some undertone to it, but I think that Shinobi has no reason to not believe him. And considering the fact that there are other parts of Krakoa that may seem sort of devilstrom and his dad is like the only part of the island that he can trust, even if he is someone you can't, there's no reason to not believe Sebastian in this case. And I think that's, I think that's why he just takes up the position of the Black Bishop without, you know, any hesitation. It's like, hey, you know, you're like, you're, you're my pops. I hate you, but like, this is, you're the only guy I can, like, I can sort of trust in this new setting now. Like, there's nothing I could do about it. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Like, I hate you. You're trying to murder me. I'm trying to murder you. But you, you're all I got, bro. You're all I, I got. Talk about messed up family dynamics, right? <laughs> yeah, again, I just sort of live for that stuff because it just sets off. It just sets off, again, what what this book is going to be about. It's going to be about people trying to get on top of other people for their own political gain. Political gain, power game, not just figurative power, but actual physical power to make themselves stronger it's so it's so awesome it really is but yeah we we continue all we, we forge forward we get some more awesome kate moments some more awesome marauders moments as they're fighting more humans to bring more mutants back home the action scenes the action let's talk about the action scenes for just one second sorry to derail you but oh my god they're drawn so cool the way that they mix the fire and ice battles and just the way that storm just is coming down with them lightnings and kate just with all of her just ass whoopery oh i love it i love every minute of i it. don't know if again I, like it's been a long time since i've seen badass kate on my in my comic books and it's played beautifully here. It's the same with all of her teammates. Like Pyro just blowing people up. Iceman going to Iceman. Storms bringing in the weather. I, I dig it. I, I really love all of that stuff. And when you can do action scenes so well, but also envelop those Krakoan politics in, it gives me the sense of hope. No, hey, like someone out there, like Jerry is just doing an awesome job with the script. And Matei Loli and all of the fill-in artists, like Wernick. And all of them, like they've been, they've been awesome and drawn these action scenes for the book while injecting again, sort of those political vibes into it. And I, I dig it hard. Well, I kind of go, I kind of see this more as like corporate intrigue and less political. Obviously, the stuff going on with with the countries and getting the human or the mutants away from the humans is is very political. But the whole corporate stuff is just all corporate intrigue that happens like probably in real life like there's real plotting on people's lives on the, and the board members and all that kind of stuff and i think that's just another layer that they're bringing to this new world like of x-men you know <laughs> corporate intrigue political intrigue action black ops spies um just um funny like happy-go-lucky family stuff you know like they're, they're hitting all the notes and they're hitting them all so well Right, I don't, I don't know what notes they're not hitting, and it's again just fun to see like a more, more spy stuff. Like, right, you, you get to see Kate. He, she wants Bishop in a red uniform on the Hellfire Club. Bishop is reluctant. He eventually agrees to it after a whole bunch of dual shenanigans and a very interesting mission that they went on together, where they really talked about it. Apparently, there was um, in Taipei a big political figure that said her husband went to Krakoa and never came back, disappeared forever. And he's not a mutant. And so she got a big 
in her country got a big riled up everyone for it and bishop's like trying to talk to her like there is no record of your husband coming here he didn't touch the gate that touching the gate thing is weird it doesn't work like that whoop de whoop but then at the same time he's like kate's like well look what happens with me in the gate there might be some weird stuff going on that we don't know about so that's right. when they that's when um bishop and her go into the the politician's houses be like okay what's going on here What's going on here? With the most awesome plan ever. Parachuting through a building. Can we talk about how cool that is? It is like they're going through and deep breath and they just get through. They phase. Kate phasing is just always awesome. Let me just point that out. Whenever she uses her powers, it's always, I, I know it's sort of redundant to say at this point, but whenever Kate uses her powers, it's just it just brings a smile to my face. It really does. And they go through... And they find out, hey, her her husband isn't didn't get missing. She he's he's fine. He's a, he's a mutant worshiper now. One of those weird cults that are going to be or that that are right. They're they're all over the place. Like they're they're like oh my gosh. Like we got not only do we have people who hate mutants as always, but there are people who worship them because cults exist. You know, all of that and cha ching cha child. They get attacked. More awesome Kate and Bishop fighting. And they find out, right, that, that oh, yeah, she was lying. And they call they call her out on it. And, again, Bishop takes up the red costume. She bec- he becomes the, the red Bishop, takes up on Kate's offers after Beast talks to him. And Kate, again, gets to his head. And not not gets to his head, but more so Kate gets... Or convinces him to get in that costume. And, well, Chen Zhao hires some people of her own because she needs an anti-immune hate group. And she's like, hey, I'm extending out this offer to all of you. And we got freaking Maximilian Frankenstein and the other kids. And they're like, hey, yeah, we hate mutants too. Let's go around with some boats and that's how we have the... That's we'll have another ex-villain. And just to see that, yeah, set up. Yeah. And it is... I just, and I, I love the comedy aspect, like, Bishop, you obviously have to be my Bishop. Your name is Bishop. Like, that's, what else were you going to do? Like, like, you have to be my Bishop. You're a Bishop. <laughs> like, no crap you have to be. Like, your name is that. So, let's just add red to it, and we're good. And he, again, he agrees. We get, we get more awesome, more awesome fight scenes between all. It's just awesome. And, yeah, seeing him on... Seeing him on the Hellfire Club Corporation sticky shtick, whatever you want to call it. It's dope. But speaking of dope, we also get another mutant back into the fold. Emma brings over her brother Christian, and he's now also... Christian Frost, CF. Now, this is something I wasn't... Is is, is Christian and... Ice and Bobby are they oh, dating? They are. Oh yeah! Or, oh like, yeah! I, I Dude, like no, this is this is relationship. Still- this is relationship status. Yeah, I I think that well from a the way they're talking to each other, they call each other darling, and like you know because Bobby's now gay, uh, or full or like he's he's now canonized that. Oh no no no! Okay, I would like let's let's address that right now because people always want to say how could they turn Iceman gay and there's no Iceman being gay. No, there is whether. Marvel was doing it on purpose or not, there has been foreshadowing of Bobby being gay forever. First of all, back in the day, he was the only one that was not into Jean Grey. Everyone else was trying to get at Jean Grey. He did not, okay? There's A. B, in the 90s, there was a comic series where he went on the road with Rogue and didn't hook up with her. And everyone's like, well, obviously, he's got to be gay. How can you not hook up with Rogue, right? But on top of that, like, being... That was when she was depowered, I believe. So that's why they said that. But then, okay, they put them together in the X-Men movies, okay? Now think about this. If you're gay, okay, and you want to have a beard, okay, Mm -hmm. meaning you want to be with a girl that makes it so you don't seem gay, what better beard than one that you can't touch at all, Mm. (laughs) right? I mean, there has been foreshadowing to Bobby being gay for decades. So when I found found out, I was like, duh. It's so off, yeah. It did. It wasn't even a second step for me. You know what I'm saying? Right. It all just makes sense. Like you put two and two together. Like it's not hard. It's like, oh yeah, of course he is, right? And yeah, so those two being together, right? And the fact that Christian is 
gay as well. Like it all makes sense. Like that. Like now these two are hooking up, and I have no. I dude, I ship it. I ship it hard. I have no problem with it. It's so awesome. See these two like bonding over and chilling in the ice. It just makes sense for the both of them. And I love that Emma brought her brother back into the fold as well. More mutants, more love. It's it's awesome. Like, <laughs> and, and freaking Bobby also has to tell us that, hey, we have to remember that Kate's her name. I, I, I just love all the, the dialogue in this. Like, Jerry just plays it so well. It's awesome. And so we get we get more scenes between, again, we get to see more of the intrigue of the actual corporation. We get to see now all of the three monarchs in the same sort of setting. <laughs> We have Kate, we have Emma, and we have Sebastian all here. And well, they want to take a vote, right? They they there's a distress call, and Sebastian says that the the, the black bishop, aka well, Shinobi, is gonna be heading towards the Horn of Africa. And then the Kitty or Kate or Kate and, and Emma, they they don't want though, they don't want that to happen. So they take a vote. And Kate votes no, Emma votes no, and Sebastian gets mad. <laughs> and Shinobi's just like, hey, I thought I drove my dad mad. You two are something else. And so... Yeah. And I think he kind of likes that. Like, Shinobi at the at the bottom of his heart, he's like, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah take take my dad down a bit. <laughs> let's, let's put his <laughs> ego down a bit. Let's, let's make sure that Sebastian doesn't... Let's make sure that Sebastian is, is all good. He's, he's, let's, let's not get him too rough. Oh, and that... that the face he makes too when he gets voted down is just so classic, like so like, good. Ugh. Hey, come on! How dare you do this to me? I love it. And also, I and we get and this is just before, but yeah, like I love that Emma and Kate also sort of make up for past say. I love the fact that they both grow um, because I know again knowing that the history that those two have had together, where they had they were rivals. I, Kate wanted justice, you know, Emma being obviously a villain for a lot of her time, just sort of pitted off those two against each other and seeing them grow as friends, right? Like, if Jean, I think, here's the thing, like, I think if Emma and Jean can be frenemies, I think that Kate and Emma can also be friends as well. I really have no problem with it. I think... I don't... See, I didn't get a frenemy thing from them this time. I actually felt like they genuinely like each other and want to work together. That's the feeling I right. got. I, you know what I'm saying? I, I, um, and and they even talk about... Uh, uh, Kate even says it like, what if I went with you back in the day and not Xavier? You know? Like, that whole moment was really interesting. Right, there's a lot... Again, wholesome moments in Dawn of X books are just wholesome moments. And I dig it. I, I, I want more of those. And just to see, again, yes, those two going from near you know good good rivalry to hey we're good now like we're on good terms now like people grow people change with the times and i am 100 percent on board with them two being friends it's awesome i want more of it and yeah like it's it's cool and just so again her her shape shifting and more action scenes and now we're getting towards sort of the end of the first sort of arc or setup of the of the book right yeah because i'm i'm i was wondering like is this as i was reading i was wondering okay so are we going to have an overarching story or is this going to be like the x-men book where it's just more like little single self-contained stories and we kind of are just kind of learning about the world but no they did both because that that um, politician from Taipei, she didn't stop after she got taken down by Bishop and Kate, did right, she? Right, again, yeah, she got, like I said earlier, she got a group of kids, the Hominis Verendi, my boy, freaking Frankenstein's on the team, and they have, the, they have know, their right? own sort of same monarchist vibes we have. We have Kate Kilgore, we had the Black King there, we have, again, Frankenstein... Yeah, who are these guys? Who are these guys pre Dawn of X? Who are so, these guys? So, as far as I'm, I'm concerned. Again, these, these all, these. I to see because again, we have we have a couple of them, right? We get we have Frankenstein, uh, who's who's per, my personal favorite of the group, 
he was, I believe, the. I think he, he I think he was a prince of he was a prince somewhere and it was all he's also i believe the last descendant of dr victor von frankenstein i i don't know like we again we have again we have we have manuel and duque who is a sort of he's not a mutant obviously like none of these guys are mutants but he helped fund a lot of the hellfire club stuff and it's sort of the same thing with kid kilgore who is the son of carlton kilgore I believe the last one is Wilhelmina Kensington, who is also the daughter of they're they're all they're all sons and daughters of famous or more famous Marvel people. Right, because I w- I'm not gonna lie, I was a little confused at first after I did some research. Right, I like, kind of found out, but I thought I was like, I was like, is the like are these like ex Hellfire people? Like, what's what's going on here? But no, it seems to be their own kind of. coalition to take out right and And like now they're going in from oh you know we were sort of connected to the hellfire club but now instead of being sort of excuse me so instead of being sort of disconnected from all the hellfire stuff like yeah somewhere here somewhere there no we actually have them now straight into the fold saying we are going to be plotting against you guys and trying to take you down as well and we're going to be taking it from chen zhao who just you know the, the guy the the woman from Taipei and we're just gonna go slam all up against you guys and we're we're gonna win and just sort of again I'll bring these together mm-hmm. right we have the we have the Hellfire Club which has its own political intrigue going up against it and then we have another political group called the Hominus Verandi which which we just went over that's going up against it and then at the end of issue five we get freaking hate monger and and I guess. <laughs> Yeah, a literal Klansman. A literal Klansman <laughs> is coming. They brought him out of hiding. Oh my god. I, like, literally, his name is Hatemonger, and I hate him. He is the worst and the best villain at the same yeah, time. He's terrible. But it's so perfect for, for the era of X-Men and stuff like that. Right, just setting off again all of these enemies that we could just be throwing up against the wall and dug in. He's just throwing everything all up against the wall. And we just got to smash him. And speaking of Smash, all of these groups collide together in what is a very dope final battle, I believe. Right? The final quote-unquote one-shot of the book where everybody's just going up all against each other. We have the Marauders who are now fully formed under the, the eye of Cape Pride. We have the Homeris, uh We have the Verendi. And we, we now have... You know, we have freaking the hate longer. Yellow Jacket? Yellow Jacket ye- is up in the mix as well. He, They are, th- these guys are not holding back. They really want to take out the Krakoa Nation and the Hellfire Corporation. And they are saying, we are calling in all the heavy hitters that are all the villains that are willing to get paid to kill mutants. Let's do this. And not only that, we freaking brought Donald Pierce into the fold as well. I was sitting here like, we're bringing in what? Like freaking Donald Pierce, a person who was on the hit list in House of X number three. We're going to be bringing him in here as well. We're going to, we're going to have him kill Kate. We're just going to smash him all and just destroy him. We're going to destroy the Hellfire Club here and now. But what I am happy about is Storm and Bishop, all of them, Pyro, Iceman, they all help Kate. I'll help him save the day. Seems or seems like it, right? We brought all of these again, all of these groups together, and they all get nearly soundly defeated. As again, badass Kate is badass Kate, and that needs to be put on forward. But the most man, this is a cliffhanger that got to me. The most intriguing, I think, yet <laughs> the most shocking part of the book was the end where Sebastian just lays it on and he says. The queen is the most lethal piece on the board, and Emma chose that queen, but I have my own goals, and I'm going to take that stupid queen off the board. I want her out. I did not approve of this, and with with his own gadgets and with the help of other vine pods that he made, Kate gets taken literally off the board, and Lockheed as well. Sebastian just throws Lockheed into the ocean and 
that was that was that was rough for me to see that. I love Joaquin and to see him go underwater like that in a net, I was like, no, not lucky. He's my favorite. And she even says it too. The actual quote is like, just leave I'll I'll die. Just don't put him in there. I'll I'll kill me. Leave don't Lockheed. Kill, don't kill no. Lockheed. Like see again, or the friendship vibes that we're getting from the Dawn of X books. And again, I love it. I, I love all of them. And to see her just sort of just say that like I'd rather have my life my friend's life saved instead of mine. And again, just solidifying that those two are just bonded together. And it's 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 whole it's heartwarming to see, but at the same time it's also heartbreaking because you get you see Sebastian just say, Hey, I I brought Donald Pearson to the fold. I made all of these sweet deals behind your back and I was plodding behind and doing my regular own villainy stuff. Kate's just thrown into the ocean. Sebastian just says, I I may beg for your blade, but it's not today. And that's the end of the first fold of the new adventures of the Hellfire Club under this brand new era. Yes. And hands down, everyone kept telling me that this was the best book. And I have to say, I have to say this is. This is by far my favorite. I didn't think I'd like, I like, you know, I read Hox Pox, amazing. Um, X-Men, amazing. New Mutants, amazing. And then Marauders, wow. It was, it was probably the book I couldn't put down, like the other ones, okay, I read an issue, come back to it, read an issue, come back to it. This one I sat down, read it all the way straight through, nonstop, because that's how into it I was. I couldn't wait to see what happens next. And once again, we should change this podcast name to, instead of Dom of X, to What's Hickman Gonna Do Next? Because, oh my god, I can't wait to see this, this genius plan that he's been plotting out for years, and it's just... The, the the synergy of all the different writers and artist teams is just so amazing and he he's just they're they're knocking it out of the park this right. might I, be my favorite era of x-men of all time hands down at me if you must but that's how i feel yes i agree i i think what i love again what i love most about marauders is just that and yeah, that three-way three-way offside the three-way relationship between sebastian kate and emma and just how all three sort of play together in this new world their new playgrounds and the fact that it's not we're under the shadows no we're gonna put ourselves we're gonna make our name out there in the world and we're gonna save all mutants and just to see how those three try to put themselves up for power and try to move forward with their own plans and how that all ties into bringing not only bringing mutants home but also bringing the drugs home but also seeing how they're going to set themselves up and how this is all going to affect Krakoa I also have to say that I do agree this is my favorite Dawn of X title I think for the for the main reason that the action is just fantastic the characters are just well written by Jerry like I love Jerry's version of all of these guys his M is awesome. His K just kicks butt. Like, I I legitimately was asking myself, like, okay, is is like is Kate not being there gonna draw the book down, or does he have something set up for this? I love his pyro, I love his storm, love his bishop, I love all the moments that all the characters have. It's just heartwarming to see again when you put the passion into a project like Hickman has and have all these amazing writers on board and with Jerry doing a pirate's book right like how can you say no to a pirate's book it's it just again just brings warmth to my heart knowing that there are people out there who care for the characters but also want to put out an awesome story out there with their own twists and to make sure that hey like we're gonna have we're gonna have fun with this too like not only was this a fun book but it also had has all of those intriguing political vibes to it so that you could actually go in depth and see hey how does this offset this but it's it's just a perfect book throughout i loved the art as well in it too mateo lolly's pencils awesome right like Great. it's so clean the coloring the the team that was put together brilliant i, I brilliant could, brilliant brilliant on all accounts i could i just could not say no to this book this book gets a i i i, I put out my love for jerry and mateo and Lucas, whoever, everybody else who worked on this book as well, because they deserve a round of applause for what they did in the first first series. And to beckon out your point earlier, 
there were a lot of seeming one shots again with this book but there was that overarching arc of let's set up a team and each character is going to go through something as we not only set up this again this brand new world but just to see how it all is going to play out and again just that that off that 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 vibe with Emma, Sebastian, and Kate just duking it out—it makes the book for me, and it's it what's it's what makes this book so awesome. Yes, hands down, and the and the, it and it connects to the rest of the books so well. And with that, I would like to thank the Grand Geek Gathering for hosting this podcast. Please go over to thegrandgeekgathering.com. Go check out all the other creators, podcasters, and everybody else on the site. You guys will not regret it. I love them to death. You guys will too. And I'd also like to thank my awesome friend Dylan as well for being here. Thank you so much again. Yeah, no, seriously. Always a pleasure, Dominic. I, I, I love doing this. This is like one of my favorite parts of the week now. It is. And we look forward to hearing what you guys have to say again. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. You can follow Dylan at Mr. Dylan Gray on all platforms, Livid, Instagram, and Twitter. You can follow the podcast on Domovec Studio on Twitter and Instagram. All respective designs for the episodes were co-created and headed by my very good friend Maruf. You can follow him on Instagram at Maruf, M-A-R-U-F, 99designs. Thank you again all so much for listening beyond the island of Krakoa with your very own professor the next time.